You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Well, amen. It's good to see you here. And uh, already the Lord has been speaking. Years ago, I read a story that when I read it, I thought, boy, that's Christmas. It was the story of a grandmother who had been entrusted with the care of her grandchild while her daughter went to work. And so the grandmother, who was watching the child, and over a period of time got busy, and then the phone rang, and before long you can guess what happened. The uh, child wandered out the back sliding glass door. They had a swimming pool in the backyard, and after a while the child wandered off and eventually fell into the swimming pool. When that happened, the grandmother... A few minutes later, messed the child, began to look around, couldn't find the child, and then began to scream and holler the child's name, and finally found the child floating in the the swimming pool. The grandmother dove into the pool, and let me fast forward it now. A call from the daughter who was working that day. She called to check on the child, couldn't get her mom. So finally she became nervous, became upset and worried, so she called the police department and said, there's something wrong, I can't get my mom, she's watching my little granddaughter. By the time the law enforcement, by the time the police got there, the grandmother and the little girl, the little child, were both laying in the pool dead. And I want you to understand this, the reason that I tell you that story is that grandmother, with all the love that she had for that grandchild, she was willing, but she was not able And I want you to think about that for a moment because that's what Christmas is really all about. You know, the Bible says this. John tells us that Jesus said, For God so loved the world. You know that verse. We've said it. We've heard it all of our lives. Sometimes it's like Christmas. If we're not careful, it kind of loses its meaning after a while. But John said that Jesus said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, there's been a lot of religions in the world. There are a lot of religions in the world. There are men like Muhammad and Buddha and the Hindu religion and all the religions of the world, and many of them, listen, they are willing, but they're not able. And so I want to introduce you to somebody today that is able... He was not only willing, but Jesus Christ was able. And that's why we're gathered here. That's why we sing. That's why we say, Lord, let us us come into your heart. And at the same time, the Lord is saying to us, let me come into your heart as well. You see, Christmas is a story. It is the story of a Savior. You see, Christmas in some ways is the Creator. And what the Creator does, God, what He does, God set all of this in motion. He created everything that you see, including including yourself, including me. But there came a point that when sin began to taint and affect that creation, that the only way that it could be fixed was that God would have to put on the flesh of man, He would have to enter into His own creation. I remember years ago in Zimbabwe, I was on my way out to a village. I was talking to an old African pastor, and and I was talking about, I want to preach today about the Word becoming flesh. How do I say that? This old African pastor looked at me for a moment. He had a paralysis on one side. He had to constantly wipe his face. 
He said to me, he said, I knew what that meant. It meant the Bible says. He said, He said, I knew what that said. It means God said. He said, And I looked and my eyes got about that big. I have an earned doctorate, but this, this African pastor uneducated as he was, was making a theological truth that would change my life forever. What he was saying was, Mwari meant God. Akafeka means dress. And then he took my jacket and he held it for a moment and he said, Nyama. And that word Nyama meant flesh. And then he said, Mwari, Akafeka, Munyama. And what he was saying is that God invaded his own creation and he put on himself the flesh of man. You see, that's what Christmas is all about. It's a, it's a search and rescue operation. That's what it is. And so God enters his own creation. Paul said it well. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians. Paul, Paul put it so well. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul said Jesus, he's talking about Jesus here. He said, who being in the very nature God, did not consider it equality with God something to be grasped. And now listen to this. But he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, he was made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of of the cross. You see, this is not this is not merely God stepping in, diving in to this sinful lake that we're living in. This is God in essence diving into a sewage lagoon. You see, there's a big difference there. Some of us think, you know, well, I might dive in to a lake to rescue somebody. Well, let me ask you something. What if they were drowning in a sewage lagoon? What if they were drowning in a pool of sewage? Would you dive into that and save them? And yet here's a holy God that steps into the sinful creation in order to save us. I read Michael Reagan tells the story of President Reagan years ago when he was going to visit in a blind school. And he was wondering, he was thinking, now how is the President of the United States going to relate to blind children? And Michael Reagan said he watched his dad, and at a certain point, his dad began to talk to the blind kids, but he could tell they were not really understanding and grasping. And so finally, he saw the President of the United States, President Reagan, Ronald Reagan, and he went and he sat down in the middle of these blind children. And then what he did, he just invited them to come. And he said he watched his little blind boys and girls were filling his head and his hands and rubbing across his eyes and even filling up their hands going to his mouth. And they were, they were touching his mouth as he was speaking. And they were just all around him. When I read that, I thought about that's what Christmas is. God put on the flesh of man and he allowed us to fill him. You know, 1 John 1, you know what 1 John 1 says? John the Beloved said this. John said, we've handled him. We've touched him. We've smelled him. We've seen him with our eyes. We've heard him with our ears. We have experienced him, he says. And John says it. He says, we handled him. Wow. Can you imagine that? And so Christmas is the story of a Savior. And my friend, He's come to save every single person in this room. And He wants to save you today. 
Franklin Graham said years ago, he and his dad, Billy Graham, were walking along one day, and Franklin was just a little boy, and they were kind of going along, walking through a field, when all of a sudden, they came to an ant pile, a big old ant pile. And Franklin Graham said he took his foot and he kicked it. And all of a sudden, he looked, and he and Billy Graham, they were looking at these ants, and they were just literally going everywhere, just chaos and confusion. They were just going everywhere. And Billy Graham thought this would be a good opportunity to teach his son about salvation, about what Christ did for him. And so he said to Franklin, he said, Franklin, he said, how could we help these ants? Franklin Graham, a little boy that he was, he began to take his foot and push the pushed the dirt back up, and the ants were just scattered, going everywhere. And Billy Graham said, Franklin, look, said, there's still such disorder there. You've not helped them. If anything, you've made it worse. You see, that's the religions of the world. The religions of the world simply say, well, let's just pile it back up again. Let's make it look good. And then Billy Graham said, son, how can we help these ants? Finally, Franklin Graham thought for a moment, and he said, Dad... I guess we'd have to become an ant. Billy said, that's exactly right. You see, that's Christmas. It's the story of a Savior. It's God, God putting on the flesh of man and stepping into His creation in order to save every single person in this room. And you may feel like today, well, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. My friend, let me tell you this. You've done no more than the man that's preaching to you right now. And secondly, this is only a two-point sermon, so hang on. Christmas is not only the story of a Savior. It's the story of a search. You see, Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. In other words, what God is doing right now, your Creator who entered into His creation in, in Jesus Christ. Listen, when Jesus ascended up to the Father, you know what He did? He said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and my Holy Spirit is continuing to seek men and women and drawing them to the Father, to God. So this is not simply about a Savior, it's about a search. Years ago, when Jeffrey, the guy that was leading worship a moment ago, when he was a little boy, we were in Orlando, Florida. We were at a big Walmart in Orlando. There were tables that were out front and people were everywhere. They were having a massive big sale and, and people were just everywhere. The parking lot was congested. It looked, like, it looked like a couple of days ago in some of the shopping centers around Jackson metro area. Sheila, my wife, said to me, we have two boys and two girls. She said, listen, I'll take the girls, you take the boys. Now, let me tell you something, that's a bad end of the deal. <laughs> I always got the bad end of the deal. Because it was hard keeping up with them boys. And Jeffrey was the youngest. He was about three years old. And here we were, I was looking. And, well, you know men the way we are. We talk about women wanting to shop. But, you know, they had some, they had some men kind of stuff out there. So I was sitting there looking over that table and before long, I turned around and looked at Ledge and I said, Ledge, where's Jeffrey? He said, Dad, I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? Well, I, I began to look up under the table and, 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 and I was looking up under this table and that table and I was just kind of making my way around and, 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 and before, you know, first of all, I wasn't trying to blow my cool. I was trying to be calm. Jeffrey? Jeffrey? Jeffrey, come here, son. Jeffrey? 
And, and, and I was moving around, I was looking, I was pulling up and, and, and looking up under the table. And, and then I began to say, have you seen a little boy about this size? And, and uh, Jeffrey, 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 Jeffrey. And my friend, then all of a sudden, all the fear began to fill me. I thought about every kidnap story, every child who had been, who had been stolen out of a parking lot or out of a store. And all of a sudden, all that fear took over. And I began to scream, Jeffrey! Jeffrey, and next thing you know, there's tears, and I'm pulling that little boy. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, I stopped the parking lot. I stopped all the shopping. And a Walmart park parking lot on a Saturday came to a standstill because I said, we've got to find my little boy. And my friend, before long, I was crying. I was stopping traffic. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, just screaming across that parking lot. I walked into that super center, that mall, that uh, Walmart, and I began to cry out, Jeffrey, Jeffrey! Cash registers began to stop. Management began to come over when all of a sudden Sheila came down the aisle. She said, I've got him. I've got him. My friend, let me tell you something. In that moment, this dad was celebrating. I just began to shout. I began to give God all of the glory. I began to say, oh, thank you, God, thank you. Just wrapping my arms around him and loving him and just saying, oh, thank you, Lord, thank you. I was crying. I didn't care what anybody thought. It didn't matter to me. My friend, you have a God today that entered into this creation and He loves you so much. And He is crying out through those songs, through this message, through the love, through the food, in every way He's saying to you, I love you, I'm searching for you, where are you? And He's weeping. When Jesus wanted to sum up the heart of God, I'll tell you how He did it. He said there was a dad. He had two sons and one of them was rebellious. And that son came to his dad one day and he said, Dad, I'm tired of you. I'm tired of the authority you have over me. I want to spread my wings and I want to fly. And I'm going to go out on my own. And dad said, okay, son, you go right ahead. The Bible said he began to live a rough, ungodly, immoral, unethical life. And finally there came a point when he was in a pig pen. He had lost absolutely everything. And the Bible said that he came to himself. And there came a day when that son decided, I've got it better at home. And he came home. And you know what the Bible says? It says that father saw him from afar. Jesus said, and he began to run. And he embraced him. And he kissed him all over. Wow. This is a search operation. And I want you to know something. It goes all over the world. There are missionaries today, people all over the world. I've, I've, I've been in countries in Africa, been across Europe in different countries. I've sat with a pen, I've sat with a stick in African dust and drew out two hills and said, there's me, there's God, and I can't get from me to God because of sin and charted the course of salvation. You see, Christ loves you. And He gave His life for you and He can set you free. I want you to understand that He can set you free of whatever holds you in bondage. You say, well, you don't know bondage. You're a preacher. My friend, I've been hooked in... Listen, I've been hooked on pornography. 
There was a time when I, you know what I used to tell people? If Christ hadn't come into my heart, I would have been a drunk womanizer. That's what I would have been. Don't tell me about bondage. There came a point in my life on a street in Yazoo City. I sat there beating the dash of a 1974 Maverick till I beat it to a pulp, crying out to God. I had nowhere to go. And at that moment, felt like nobody loved me. But I had a God who loved me. And you know what He did? He loved me enough to reach in that car and to save me. And my friend, I'm not the same today. And God loves you. And you may say, you know, but you don't know what holds me in bondage. My friend, God can set you free of that. Do you believe that? Some people don't understand that. Elvis Presley died on a bathroom floor. The king of rock. Michael Jackson died in a bedroom. The king of pop. Because they had never met the king of kings. You see, Christ can make all the difference in the world in your life if you'll let him. Charles Spurgeon, great preacher years ago, was in, a, in the Metro Tabernacle. There was a big church in London. And so Charles Spurgeon, this great preacher, went into this empty tabernacle, this empty great church, and, and, and he wanted to test, because they didn't have sound systems back then, so he wanted to test his voice. So this big barrel-chested preacher stood up behind that pulpit in an empty church, this massive church there in London, and he said these words, Ye must be born again. And he listened as that sound reverberated across that big massive room. And then he said it again, Ye must be born again. And then the third time he said, Ye must be born again. And at that point a man who was, he didn't know it, he was behind the balcony, about like that, and he was working on the flooring when all of a sudden he stood up and he began to weep and to cry. And he said, I want to be born again. And you see, that's what Christ wants for you today. And he'll do it right now. I want you to listen. Watch this. You hear that? Kids, you hear that? Everybody hear that? Every second somebody dies. 60 a minute, 3,600 an hour, almost 86,000 a day, and over 30 million a year. And one of those is yours. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Last couple of weeks we've been, we've been, we've been flooded with young men that have no respect for the church, have no respect for the things of God. They don't care anything about it. There may be some of you here today, you don't, don't mean anything to you. You want to get your stuff and you want to go. And you don't realize how close you stand to eternity. Maybe your last chance. These young men, listen, these young men came and they just disrupted. Man, they were threatening to beat up our staff out there. They cursed me and used all kinds of profanity in my face. That Wednesday night, that was the second Wednesday night that it happened. Last Wednesday night, I want you to know something, I didn't sleep that night. 
That morning I met with Jason. We came together and we prayed and we read the scripture. Afterwards I looked at Jason and I said, God's telling me to drag the cross. So I took that cross in the foyer right here. And I left out of here and I made my way down Raymond Road. And I had my Bible in my hand. I was walking with that cross making my way. I went to Wingfield because Wingfield is a, is a place where the enemy seems to have set up camp. And I, I began to circle around Wingfield like Jericho, praying and pleading and asking God to intervene on behalf of that school. Buses were pulling up, people were pulling up, everybody was looking, thinking some man, this white man's done went crazy. I'm used to that. In Africa, they call me Barungu. Barungu is white man. I left Wingfield, and I made my way back down here, and I came down here, and I stood down on that street corner down here at Ellis and Raymond, and, and God said, I want you to put the cross down, I want you to preach. So I began to preach the gospel, John chapter 3 preaching for over 30 minutes, echoing across that intersection. I would say my voice was every bit as strong as it sounds in this room right here. God plugged me into His amplification. And I watched His people. Do you know how many people pulled up and had their music cut on and cut up? Not one. Every one of them cutting the music down, cutting the music down. They were cutting the music down. Over and over again, cutting the music down. And then finally, God began to deal with people. There were people that were sitting there almost messing the light, rolling their windows down, men and women under conviction. There was a homeless woman that's been living in bondage to alcohol. I watched her and all of a sudden she began to hear the gospel. She took off running the other way. But I want you to know something. God loves you. I buried a man one time a while back. Me and the preacher were waiting in the parlor. They'd gotten everything ready. They carried the family to say their final goodbyes. They went and seated them in the church, in the chapel there at the funeral home. Me and this preacher were standing there waiting on the funeral people to come back and close the casket. We were standing there. Neither one of, them were spe- neither one of us were speaking when all of a sudden we heard the sound of an alarm on a watch go off. I thought it was his watch. He thought it was mine. We kept looking at each other. And finally I said, is that your watch? He said, no, I thought it was yours. I said, no, it's not mine. You want to guess where it was coming from? We looked over in the casket and there those hands were folded. That watch. That man was a butcher. That man had strange hours. And that man had set his watch he didn't know for his own funeral. You say, Brother Jeff, what does it take to be saved? This. When I was in second grade, and I'll close with this and then we'll pray. When I was in second grade, we lived in Titusville, Florida. My dad worked for NASA. And I'd wear my swim trunks up under my blue jeans. And me and a boy named Tommy, and Tommy was bad influence. And some of you in this room, you've been around bad influences all your life. Tommy was a bad influence in my life. And Tommy, we'd, we'd get through, and we'd go to a place called Coquina Pit there in Titusville. And we'd get out in that water, and man, we'd have the best time. Well, one day Tommy went across that water, and as he got across to the other side, he said, hey, Jeff, come on over. I was a second grader, but buddy, wasn't nobody. He said, I dare you come over to the other side. You see, some people's life starts with a dare. 
and it tragically goes downhill. And so finally I couldn't take it anymore. Boy, I put my head down and I began to do just kind of a, 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 a swinging my arms, threshing that water and make, trying to make my way to the other side when all of a sudden, you guessed it, I put my little second grade, I, my little old body, I put my feet down and there was nothing under my feet. And all of a sudden I knew that I was in trouble and I screamed, I said, Tommy, Tommy, help me. And I was thrashing the water. And my friend, I can remember it just as clear as no telling what. Tommy thought I was joking. He thought I was playing. But my friend, I was on my way down and I was drowning. A second grade kid, I can still remember it just as clear as ever. I can still see me sinking down under that water. And my hands going up. And I thought, I'm dying my little life flashing before me. When all of a sudden in that moment, a hand reached down, pulled me up out of the water like I was a rag doll. There was a big bronze looking shouldered man. He had black, coal black hair flowing down his, his back. He was a Seminole Indian. Young man, probably about 19, 20 years of age. He reached down, he took me like I was a little rag doll. He set me on that big old bronze back and we went across Coquino. And I don't know about you, but it's hard to swim with somebody on your back. I was a chunky little kid. He put me on his back and he treaded water and he took me to the other side. Tommy was nowhere to be found. He had gotten scared and took off running. Well, it was fenced in. It was fenced in, so the only thing he could do to get me back to my bicycle and get me home was to take me back across that coquina pit. I'll never forget this big old good-looking Indian, black-headed, cool black hair, just looked like a specimen out of heaven. I'm not sure that he wasn't. And he looked at me and he said, Son, he said, do you trust me? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, he said, come on, boy. He picked me up in big old massive shoulders. He set me on his back. Had my legs wrapped around here. My hands around his neck. And then we treaded water back. Man, I look like, man, I look like, boy, I thought I was king. Look at me! And we tread to the other side. He set me off his back, Chris. He rubbed my head. And he said, now son, you learn how to swim. Don't let me catch you here again. My dad's 82 years old. He can't stand me telling that story to this day. But I want you to know something. It was as simple as this, you see. I just simply was holding my hand up, longing for somebody, and all of a sudden, there was salvation. You see, it's just that simple. Lord, I'm a sinner. I've made a mess out of my life. Lord, I know I deserve hell. But I know that you love me and you died for me. You paid the penalty of my sin. And so, Lord, I reach and I take hold. And you know what God's doing right now through the power of His Holy Spirit? The hand of God is reaching down into your heart, into my heart, into every single person in this room. And He's saying, if you'll just latch hold, and I'm going to tell you this much, when God latches hold of you, He won't let go. Okay. He won't let go. So I want to ask you to stand. I want to ask you to stand. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. And what that means is we're going to invite you to come and to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today. And you may say, you know, I didn't plan on doing that. Well, you know what? God had another plan. You see, it's not about free coats and clothes. It's not about free food. 
It's about a search and rescue operation. And there's some in this room he's trying to rescue. I'm going to ask Jeff and Leanne if they would to come and stand here. Ledge and some of our staff to be here. Reggie, some of our staff to be down front here. And if God is speaking to your heart, I want to invite you to come. If you say, you know, I don't know how to be saved, then you come. They'll teach you and tell you and explain to you how. Mark, I'm going to ask Mark to come. And any other person, that, if they would like to come and be a part of the counseling. But I want to pray for you first, okay? With heads bowed and with eyes closed, I want you to pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray right now, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit, dear Lord, that you would reach in the hearts of men and women, that dear Lord, that nothing would keep them from grasping and clinging to your hand, which dear Lord is so demonstrative of your love for us. Lord, you love us. We may be drowning in sin. We may be drowning and just feel like our life is just flashing before us. But God, you love us and you brought us here to save us. And so Lord, we thank you for Christmas. This is a search and rescue operation. You are concerned about every man and woman, boy and girl in this room. You died for every single person here. Father, we pray that, dear Lord, if there's one here that today would say, would you pray for me? Or would say, I want to become a Christian. We pray that they might come today and receive you as their Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I want you